Hello and welcome to episode 5 of series 4 of the Engaging Internal Comms podcast. This is the show for employee engagers and internal communicators who like to keep up to date with all that is new in our profession. My name's Craig Smith from The Big Picture People. Again, I said on the last episode, but just a quick uh, thank you for everyone who's contacted us to express an interest in being an interviewee on the show. If you're interested in being a guest, get in touch with us at info at thebigpicturepeople.co.uk or go to engagingic.com and click on the contact form there. We are looking for guests for later on in the series. And if you're interested in being a guest, if you've got something you'd like to talk about and uh, take part in an interview, which normally takes about an hour for the process, uh, not an hour's worth of recording, but just an hour just to make sure that everything's working okay, just a bit of setup time and uh, recording the interview, which normally lasts between 25 and 35 minutes. Um, So just coming up in the next couple of episodes, just to give you a heads up there, we have an interview on uh, the next episode, which is going out on the... um, 14th of March, which is episode number six of this series with interview with Mark Carpenter. Mark's going to be telling us all about how we can use stories to teach, lead and inspire in our internal communications, which is a very popular topic. We've covered that a number of times. And then in the episode after that, which is on the 28th of March, I have an interview with Muriel Clawson from Anthill. And again, another very popular topic which we've covered before, but I think is still highly relevant and particularly in our new age of digital communications where we're much more comfortable using digital comms and we have a mixture of people working in a hybrid way. We're going to be talking all about how we communicate with frontline employees and often forgotten and uh, ignored really important groups whether we work in service industries or manufacturing or any industry where we have people who are not sat in front of a desk sat in front of a computer very easy uh, and and also out on the road as well very easy to forget those people and uh, focus our communications purely on those who are desk-based so um, Muriel is going to be telling us all about the importance of that and and giving us some ideas and tips on how we can engage better with our frontline employees employees. And that's probably it for this. I'm not going to talk anymore. So as I said, any anybody interested in being a guest, get in touch with us and we can get set up an initial conversation to uh, see if you're right for the show and if you are comfortable with the process that we'll take you through to be a guest on the show. So anyway, that's all from me. Let's move on to uh, today's interview. Just one little footnote before you listen to the interview. I've just noticed that there is a little bit of a syncing issue between myself and Shelby, who you'll be listening to on the interview. Uh, It does sound as though I'm interrupting Shelby, which given the topic that we're talking about might seem a little bit strange. So I hope it's not too distracting. I listened back to it and it's clear what Shelby is saying in the interview. Uh, And I don't think my... uh, interruptions which aren't really interruptions it's just a syncing issue due to the uh to the software that we were using when we recorded the interview so i just wanted to let you know that that's uh that that might be something that you notice and i did know about it but i decided that uh, all in all the uh, the interview is very very listenable uh, thanks very much a recent article in psychology today discussed how in america people routinely engage and witness aggressive or mean-spirited behavior towards each other and incivility that occurs it tends to happen online where we've got issues such as shaming political polarization and that sort of thing and we probably all recognize that any of us who look at social media or watch the news or read about some of the horrific stories of bullying and cyberbullying and other issues like that recognize that particularly with social media but also in other walks of our life that incivility has become a big problem now as an internal communicator i'm guessing that a lot of your communications will go through quite a lot of filtering mechanisms there'll be lots of checks and balances but in general within our organizations we're not always in control of the things that are going on every day and we're not always in control of the different types of communications that happen outside of our professional uh, remit but I think we all probably care about this. Civility is uh, one of the things that we should be encouraging our colleagues to do, as as particularly as in our role as internal communicators, and should be we should be role modelling some of that. 
So what we're going to explore in this episode is what are some of the issues that we face when we are trying to deal with civility and how can we help our colleagues to understand that engaging with people who have different opinions with you, to you, different values perhaps, different ways of doing things, you can do that in a way that is civil and you can have those disagreements, which all organisations need to a certain extent in order to move forward. If we have an organisation where everyone agrees with each other, then that's probably going to lead to stagnation and change and no change so we need to find a way to air our differences to explore those differences but to be able to do it in a civil way now it might be that you think that isn't an issue in your organization but i would also um, ask you to maybe think about your email culture as well now i know this is just a specific example of this but a lot of my clients i hear argue or or uh, disagree with the amount of emails that are going out and the way that those emails are sometimes toned that can cause um, lots of disagreements and and it result in ping pong email spats between colleagues we will probably recognize that so we're going to be looking at how we can engage with people who have different opinions. We're going to be looking at how we can call out uncivil behavior and try to drive more civility within our organizations, but also how we avoid just turning into an organization where we very we very rarely challenge or we very rarely um, uh, disagree with each other because we're worried about the reactions. It's not about that. It's about how we can we can air those uh, those differences in a way that is civil and not allow hostility and incivility to become a problem within our organisations. So that's what we're going to be looking at in today's episode. And we probably have one of our most distinguished guests that we've ever had on the show, who's going to walk us through her different perspectives and her ways of helping organisations to increase the amount of civility and reduce the hostility within their communications. My guest today is Shelby Scarborough. Shelby began her career with the White House as a member of President Ronald Reagan's advanced team, where she helped to coordinate such landmark events as the Reagan-Gorbachev-Moscow Summit. She then served as a protocol officer in the U.S. Department of State, and in 1990, Shelby founded Practical Protocol LLC, which is a company that plans bespoke events for foreign dignitaries, such as Nelson Mandela, Pope John Paul II, and Lech Valencia. Shelby's experience in both the public service and private sector have given her a unique insight into the practices that have led to positive and productive relationships and communication between individuals, countries, and societies. Shelby resides in the San Francisco Bay Area, where she's a speaker, entrepreneur, and writer. So, hello, Shelby. How are you? I'm just great. How are you, Greg? Very well, thank you. And I've already uh, I've already answered one of the questions I normally ask my guests, which is, where are you based? But I've already said you're in the San Francisco Bay Area. So just paint a little picture for us, what it's like there today in, in San Francisco. For those, those poor souls who are across the other side of the Atlantic in the dark and cold at the moment, uh, what's, what's the weather like <laughs> in San Francisco? <laughs> well, for those who don't think that we have uh, seasons, we do. And I'm looking out the window at a tree-filled uh, area that's all bright yellow leaves that are about to just drop all over the place. <laughs> and it's a bright blue sunny day, oh. so it's nice. We've got the best of both worlds here. Excellent. Great. Well, I, I think I can honestly say that's probably the most distinguished, uh, and this is no offense to any of my previous guests, that's probably the most distinguished bios that I've, uh, you know, it's very rare, I think, in, in, in the bios that I've had from my previous previous guests that we've mentioned, kind of Gorbachev, uh, Reagan, Mandela, Lech Valencia, there's some, uh, so, and, and obviously Pope John Paul II. So there's some uh, real um, uh, A-listers there. So <laughs> tell us a little bit more about that, about that journey, but also about your current work as well. <laughs> certainly, certainly. You know, I was really lucky as a young person to be um, sort of, I guess, right place, right time. But I, I, that's a whole nother, nother discussion about uh, putting yourself into a position of opportunity. Uh, but I was given the opportunity to prove myself uh, in the president's, uh, President Reagan's White House at about 22 years old. So I always kind of chuckle when I hear she, you know, I, I make sure to put the word in help to coordinate uh, the Greg and Gorbachev summit because at 22 years old, that's kind of lofty, you know, to, to be the person. So I was one of a team. <laughs> I was one person who went with the, with the team over. Um, and that was what we did. We went around the world preparing for presidential visits. And um, that was every detail that you could imagine, you know, where they would stand and where they would sit and who, when they would greet somebody and who would be there and, um, all of those kinds of um, issues and work with the Secret Service and work with 
the communications office and work with the speechwriters and all of those people to kind of be the the hub of the wheel to coordinate all the logistic details. So we weren't we weren't developing the policy, you know, but we what we were doing was setting up the the situation so that the president could be the president and not worry about how he got someplace or you know how many steps it was to something or which elevator to use. Those kinds of things were all thought through ahead of time and in excruciating and amazing and beautiful detail. Mm-hmm. I used to get quite scared when uh, I used to work in a food business and we we used to have to arrange and coordinate visits when some of our senior VPs came across from the States to, to visit our facilities in the, in the UK and in Europe. And, you know, again, it was very, you know, kind of rolling out the red carpet and making sure that everything was clean. And, you know, we, we thought about their tours, but again, I think what you were doing there's on a different level. So it's incredible. So, uh, excellent. Well, it's, it's a good point, <laughs> um, you know, because, um, I grew up in the Burger King business. I grew up making hamburgers with my family as my parents went into Burger Kings when I was about 15 and built a lot of them. And so I managed to, I think that part of that upbringing helped me uh, with my work at the White House and the State Department as a protocol officer, because the attention to detail and customer service is is very much the same. You know, it's about the customer and the customer mm. was, was President Reagan or the customer was the Queen of England or the customer. Uh, you just, I kind of looked at it that mm. way and the terminology is a little different, but some of the skill sets are all very, very similar. Absolutely, absolutely. Anyway, to move on to the topic that we're going to talk about, which is which is related to to what I was talking about there in your uh, in, in the introduction, um, I'm going to quote a, 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 something that you, you shared with me, which is a, a recent uh, Psychology Today article, which discusses how Americans routinely engage in and witness aggressive and mean spirited behavior towards one another, um, and uh, and nearly all of us find this is a problem. Much of the everyday incivility we see occurs online cancelling, political polarization, shaming, piling on. Just ex- These are just a ex- few examples of incivility and social behaviors that have become commonplace, ex- especially through social media. And I can tell you that's not just an American phenomenon. That's uh, that we see that across here in uh, in the UK and, and Europe as well. So it, it, it's a huge, uh, it, it's a huge area. It's a huge area of concern, I think, in terms of, of moral decay. And, and, and particularly when we hear stories, I'm sure it's similar in the States of of kind of bullying of, of young people as well by at schools and, and in colleges. So tell us a little bit more about, obviously that's, that's your, your area of one of your areas of specialism anyway, tell us a little bit more about, about your, your thoughts on that. And you, as I said, you provided that article, so I'm not claiming any, uh, any uh, research uh, credibility there. That was, you provided that to me. <laughs> yes. It's, um, you know, I, I, Marvel at actually part of what it says, because it says Americans routinely engage in it and um, more and more. And yet nearly everybody thinks it's a problem. So isn't there some irony in that is that if Mm. if we see tons of it, but everybody, nearly everybody thinks it's a problem. What's the deal? (laughs) Why wouldn't it get Mm. better if everybody thinks it's a problem? So somehow we are engaging in it. We are somewhere along the line, you know, and so one of the things I find is that a lot of people point fingers and immediately say um, that person, how do I get that person to behave better? And one of the premises in my book, Civility Rules, is that it's not about changing the other person. As much as I would like to sometimes, and as much as we all would like to change the person sitting in front of us, we have a a responsibility only to behave and show up in the world as, as best as we can. And our responsibility, mm. unfortunately, cannot, it may be a, a great desire to help change the other outside of the world, but we, we can't necessarily do that except by exhibiting our own behavior in a way that we feel is the right way to live. Mm. Yeah, it reminds me. Of, I was talking to a client the other week about this, and 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 we, I was running an event for them, and they were talking about, you know, it was like their team and and all the things that they thought that if they could change it would would get out of the way and would help them to be more productive and have better relationships with each other. And, and it wasn't civility that they raised, but they raised emails, you know, and everybody complains mm-hmm. about how many emails they get, and particularly in corporate life. And and it was a very similar cyclical argument, which was how many do you send? Well, I send quite a few, but I get too many as well. And, and it's a little bit like, it's a little, it's a similar thing is that you've got to kind of, 
change starts with you. If, if everybody recognized that I'm contributing towards this and did something to try and stop it, then wouldn't that mean that actually that would that would create a positive critical mass that might might erode some of this that, that's going on and might actually change the way that we communicate with each other? Um, yeah, so it, it is. It's, it's, it's ironic, isn't it? That um, yes. yeah. So. <laughs> I just want to. So I think we all probably recognise that we all we all we all see it as a as a you know a clear and present danger and something that we need to do something about and that we need to accept that we have a role in that. But if we just take like, drill into that a little bit more, because I guess I, I get it is is a kind of recent more, a recent phenomenon. As in, I think social media is, is the article there that we referenced as has fueled a lot of this this sort of an anonymity behind some of this stuff or the the lack of you know being able to see the other person that you're being in, uncivil to is 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 a kind of a a, a, a kind of a contributing factor to a certain extent i mean what what are your thoughts on that what, what, particularly when we're looking at and i guess we're talking social media in terms of external uh, you know when we're looking at this from an internal commerce perspective but i guess that some of this definitely leaks into you know internal communications between people within organizations it's not just you know people on twitter having a spat with each other it might be people having a uh, an argument through email or through through an instant messenger or other channels and being in, uncivil that way what 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 do you see as the the connection or disconnection between the role of social media or, or the, the lack of sort of eye-to-eye -eye contact that, that contributes to this in some way, or is that just not a factor? It's just a, it's a, some, a something else going on there. No, I, I think it's a hundred percent a factor and that it definitely has contributed. But the, the, again, the point there and the irony there is that people are doing it. So um, I guess there's mm. a lot of, you know, talk about algorithms and there's a, a lot of bots and people and nefarious people out there trying to foment um, dis discord because that's there's it's politically expedient in some ways to do that. Um, uh, even, you know, state actors who are taking part in it, but we can't control that. Right. And we have to have a little bit of faith mm. in, in our governments to, to be on the watch out for that kind of activity. But at the day-to-day -day level for us to, um, you know, we have control of our own actions. So I have to say, I have a, a social media feed that is really very positive. And I keep wondering why, um, why there's so much garbage out there that comes into some people's feeds. Well, there is, there are things called algorithms. Mm. And so there's a tendency that, that if we look that up or if we participate in it, maybe that's a clue if we get a lot of it in our inbox or in our, in our social media, maybe we are participating a little bit too much because I don't have a lot of that. I have a lot of very positive things come into my social media and the very few that come in um, are like in direct response to say an article that I put out there, an ad that I put out there for my book that, um, that I have an assessment that somebody can say, how civil are you? And I've had a negative comment or two there of people saying, well, I don't want to give you my email and kind of responding in a nasty way, which I think is kind of funny. <laughs> so, so don't <laughs> yeah. give me your email. It's okay. I'm just asking you if you want to test yourself and, and, you know, and see, do a gauge. People like to do self quizzes. And so, um, because we are all a little bit narcissistic in that way. So if we, if we're getting, I think mm, the question mm. is if you're getting a lot of nasty stuff in your feed and you see a lot of terrible uncivil stuff, then there again, we have to take responsibility because I don't get it. I have very positive feeds and, and I have to think of it because I'm not putting it out there. Yeah. I'm trying to yeah. put positive things. Yeah, out absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree. Um, I, and I guess you, you, you've alluded to that a little bit there, which is, which is this, um, I, I guess the dilemma is, is in, in the people who put their hands up and say, you know, you're trying to control me. You're trying to, you know, it's lack of freedom of speech and all that sort of thing. And I know one of the things you, mm -hmm. you, you talk about is, is that difference between, you know, civility and political correctness and, and what's the difference. And, 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 so, you know, are we, are we being disingenuous perhaps by not saying what we think and, and by saying what we think, you know, where do we, where do we hold back and where, where do the, where the filters should lie on that? I mean, what are your thoughts on the difference between political civility and political correctness and, and, and what's the difference between the two and, and where should we try and find that balance if that's such a thing, such a thing is possible? Yeah. Um, and this is such a tricky topic these days because you could be quote canceled for saying the wrong thing. And 
this is a very, as you say, a very slippery slope. And I find it a disturbing trend because most people are really not, you know, having the, how should I say it? Their intent is not to offend somebody, most people. And so if Mm. they say something that is out of political, political correctness, that is out of favor in this season of our evolution as human beings, um, it's usually not meant to offend. And I think that that's Mm. where we have to give people a little bit of latitude and a little bit of benefit of the doubt that their intentions are to be, to have a good conversation. Now, I think we can tell the difference, but having somebody else correct us as, well, you, you just said something that's racist or something that, that is really disturbing in the society because I I think it sets up a no win conversation and I'm about win win conversations. Mm. So it's not, not again, Mm. not my job to correct somebody else. It's my job to behave in a way that I think is, um, of good character and with well and good intent Mm. and well-meaning and with heart and compassion and empathy uh, and humility. And if I, if I behave that way, um, then the likelihood of me making a misstep that is going to bring me to cancellation is a lot less, I believe. And I'm not afraid of cancellation. I believe that that's an aberrant behavior in our society that is just as um, uncivil as, um, as yelling at somebody. And so it's really not mm-hmm. the way to go. It's not the way to bring society together. And that's the point of everything mm-hmm. in my mind. Anyway, that's my goal is to bring us together, not divide us. And political correctness is gotten way out of hand. I understand that there's a time and a place to understand the nuances in a, in a society. And it's sort of like mm-hmm. learning when you learn a new language. If you learn the language from the... Um, with, I spent a lot of time in restaurants. So from the restaurant staff um, in, in the country, you know, that you're, you're going to tend to learn slang, right? You're going to tend to not learn yeah. the, um, which is fun because it's nice. It's fun to learn the shortcuts in a language, but to learn the things that are, that are offensive in that language. And that's what comes out of your mouth as a new um, speaker of that language. It probably isn't going to make you a lot of friends. So I understand that, that we need yeah. to be, um, we need to be courteous in our discussion, but the, the manners and the courtesy and the, the aspect of civil uh, political correctness falls right into this continuum, which is if you think of courtesy um, as a bridge between two people or a bridge between two countries um, and the cars on the bridge are the manners of that, the, the etiquette, the manners, the way you're supposed to behave at this period in time. If you think about them as cars, cars have changed over time, but they still are vehicles to get from one place to another. So the look and feel of mm-hmm. it has changed mm-hmm. over time. So I get that we need to be uh, aware of the evolving situation in our lives and to, to be courteous to other people. But um, it's gone a little bit amok. And, and if you think of it again, as cars on a bridge there, it's like they're changing the bumper on a car and expecting everybody to notice all the time. So, um, it's yeah, just, yeah, we yeah. Have, we, you know, mm. give us a little bit of latitude, give us, give the other person in front of us a little bit of latitude that they're not meaning to in, uh, insult somebody and that they're not mm, mm. In, inherently think- racist. If they say something that is, that is not politically correct at this moment. Because it's going to change tomorrow. I've been around mm. a long time, and I've seen it change. <laughs> mm. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm a, a Gen Xer myself. I've, I've kind of seen uh, some some huge shifts, and you know, kind of things that were abhorrent it would be abhorrent nowadays, which you know were just just cultural uh, a few years ago. Which, which you know, and, and and that's not to say they were right back then, but that you know, it was when you're you're ignorant to certain things, you 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 don't know, and 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 um, yeah, you're, I, I I know what you mean. I mean, I mean, just building on that, then going into what I wanted to talk to you about next. With which is and it's not necessarily about about things that are uh, uh, you know around political correctness. It's not just just limited to that. But but how can what are some of the ways? Because you know they, they, we try to keep this podcast as practical as possible, and I think mm-hmm. helping educate people or, or uh, help people to guide people to say, okay, there are ways, there are right ways and the wrong ways. There are civil ways and uncivil ways of, of differing, having different opinions. And you know we don't want everyone to be the same. We want people to have, hold different views. That's fine. And and you know what diversity is all about, and how we challenge and how we we debate those uh, views is is absolutely um, 
key to this. So what are some of your ideas or thoughts about how we can how we can engage with differing opinions in a civil way? Or we can encourage people to do that in a civil way that doesn't cascade into this, you know, kind of spat and, and uh, aggression and piling in as this article talks about. Well, uh, as as you know, here in the States, it's about to be Thanksgiving and we're coming into a holiday season. So um, and Christmas in, in the UK, et cetera. And we've got and many other holidays, right? You know, Jewish holidays, et cetera. And so we have all we have the opportunity to be with our family for these things. And sometimes that runs into uh, the closest we have to um degradation in civil conversation when it should be the most joyous time. Right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but because it, it's a little easier to pick a fight with your siblings or your, un- your uncle or your you know parents or something, if they differ with you, because there's not as much formality there in some ways. So we feel a little bit more empowered to speak our mind. And actually um, I would suggest that in, in the workplace or in the family dinner table, that the way to deal with that is to keep the peace. And, you know, the, the attitude for me, the way I look at it, and again, this is how I try to live, okay? And it's a practice. I call it a practice of civility because you have to keep doing it. It's not, you have to be good at it. You can get rusty. We can get, and again, this word triggered is a, is a trigger for me, but the idea that, you know, that hmm. something is going to upset us. Yes, things do upset us when we disagree with them, but we are in the, control of our own response to that. And so I ask myself, how important is this relationship to me? And if the relationship is very important, then I really try extra hard to choose my words um, that are in line with what I talked about before, with compassion and with empathy and with patience and humility, um, coming at it from a perspective of a, a learner and not a teacher, which is to me is fairly important. I mean, we all have some expertise in our life after a certain period of time on this earth, but we can all be learners and that's the humility aspect of things. So open ears, open eyes, closed mouth. And my sister says, listen to learn. And I added into the the discussion in my book, I added learn to listen. And so on these podcasts, Mm. it's always funny because I talk a lot, but one of the things that I try to do with, um, with people, especially people I disagree with, it's real easy to, to be enthusiastic with somebody you agree with. But when you disagree is to listen really hard. I try to listen and say, mm. and try to understand where they're coming from and inquire more. Mm. And instead of offering my opinion back or trying to correct them or, or make them believe something different, I try two things. One is to ask them further questions so that they can elaborate more on how do you, that's a, that's a very interesting concept. I haven't heard that position before, or I hear that position a lot and I I have a slightly different viewpoint, but I'd like to hear why you think that. And and having really curiosity, genuine, open-hearted curiosity about why somebody thinks something different than me. And if we care about the person, mm. then that's a really valuable way to approach it. If we don't care about the person, why bother picking a fight and creating a situation? Mm. And so to me, mm. there are times when, when we need to... Uh, end something or when we need to walk away from something or we need to say this isn't right. And, but those, I find that that latitude is, I have a lot wider latitude on that than it seems like a lot of people do Mm. these days. It feels like the, the consensus out there right now is that the minute you hear something that you think is off, that you need, you need to be the one to correct it. And I don't feel that that's my job. I feel like my job Mm. is to try to understand other people and, um, and try to grow a relationship based on the common things that we have in place and not the differences. Mm, mm. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, that's one that's that, that thing you said there. Finally, I mean, all, all of what you've said there, I, I, I resonates with me, but that, that point that I remember working in a very heavily unionized business um, when I was a, in my, one of my managerial roles in my corporate life. And I remember always, um, and it was a very, it was a, it was a read, it was the, the managed, you know, and looking back on it, the organization was adversarial towards the union and the union were adversarial towards the organization. It wasn't a net, but if you were a manager, you perceived it, it was the union's 
fault. And then if you obviously, if you're in the union, you perceived it to be the organizer. But so it was one of those kind of horrible impasses that were, there was never ever we were going to see eye to eye. So why one of my strategies always was, you know, and these guys who I used to deal with locally, you know, they had a, they had a union flag that they had to carry and, and, you know, that, that, that always, to a certain extent, I'd always try and engage with them on a human to human level. Not, you know, and I wasn't trying to play games and I wasn't trying to manipulate them. And I'd always try and start meetings with them is to sort of, you know, find, you know, we're going to, we're going to talk about things that we're not going to agree with, or we're going to have to talk about how we agree on them. Uh, But let's kind of kick off by talking about the things that we do agree on. Um, And, you know, for me, it was always about, you know, I, you know, I tried to embody this in the way I manage the team and the office was like, I do really care about everybody in this office and I want to make sure they've got jobs in the future and they've got careers and and they've got future employment and and that's my one of my kind of drivers and i think you want that as well from as you know as a union person regardless of you know how we get there we recognize that so i think recognizing you know common ground and it's usually when you do that you find you've probably got about 80 percent of things that you agree on it's only about 10 to 20 percent of things you don't don't agree on and that's always a good place to start um those sorts of things obviously if it's the other way around then that's going to be a much tougher conversation um but um but yeah i I like that and and i think i think the other thing that you, you just talked about there which reminded me you know of how we respond to that and and a question i guess back to you which is you, you, you your family analogy i get that <laughs> kind of really probably res- that resonates with all of us you know i think that's one of those probably universal human uh, experiences um but 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 is is there a does civility extend to sometimes just biting your tongue and not saying anything or is that something else so is is you know and i know you you've said that if you care enough that you're going to say something and you're going to try and want to engage with someone but i've been in those situations in family things and i've just thought you know what i'm just not going to respond to this i'm just going to bite my tongue i totally disagree with what you're saying that kind of undermines my soul a little bit because i want to challenge you on that but i know it's not we're not going to get anywhere on this and it's a pointless discussion where does that fit on this idea of political correctness and civility and and is that just a cop out yeah no it's i think that it's wise in many cases is there's just no point in in some cases it doesn't you know there the negative energy that an uncivil person puts out there is going it burns out eventually they they just they lose friends they you know those kinds of things are going to happen so why i don't I, by coming back at somebody in an equally uncivil way what mm. the, how, there to me that's just doesn't make any sense now it doesn't mean mm. i haven't done it <laughs> so I mean, yeah. I'm human. I'm, yeah. I, I, I might have stayed out here real clearly that it, this is a journey for me too. And it's, but I have found that as mm. I've evolved in this practice, that the more I put love out there and the less I try to correct somebody or the less I try to chastise somebody or to put them in their place, which is so tempting, so, so tempting. The, the, the better off <laughs> I feel, and it's a very selfish act in some ways. I, I have a better life. My life is happier Mm. because of it. And so if I think of it as Mm. if I'm happy, then I'm putting it out there in the world too. So there's a, there's a, an inverse relationship for me with uh, uh, joy and civility, which is basically the idea that we, if, you know, the more joy we feel, the more civil we are and the more civil we, we are, the more joy we will feel. And so for me, if you want to look at it from a self-centered standpoint, boy, that's a great way to live because I give myself all those joy juices every day when I engage in the world (laughs) in a civil way. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's 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 a good way, a great way of looking at it, I think. And uh, I want to, I want to just go on to, just to, I'm conscious of, of of time. Is is is, and it links links to what we've just been talking about. How to call out uncivil behaviour, and and I guess uh, you know, I, I I've um, I deliver some some training for clients around, you know, kind of the difficult conversations and 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 you you know, definitely labelling it as behaviour rather than, um, you know, kind of. Uh, you know, labeling someone as unci- you're an uncivil person, but recognizing that actually your behavior is, 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 is what I'm finding as uncivil. Uh, w- w- are there techniques and approaches that we can, we can, uh, we can learn to, to do that in a way that doesn't create even more, um, adversarial reactions? Yeah, I think there's two, two ways to, to tag onto what you just said is to, 
again, taking the personal responsibility. So if, if you're uncomfortable in a conversation and really just feel like it's time to end it because it's bringing up a lot of emotions or it's bringing up feelings and you're tempted to go to a place that you don't want to behave uh, yourself. My, I, so I'm going to raise that. If I, I'm going to turn it around and do exactly what I'm trying to talk about, which is if I find myself in a situation that is not tolerable to me, uh, uh, then I need to take personal responsibility to go ahead and exit the conversation. And I still try to do it civilly and model the behavior I want to see. So the way mm -hmm. I try to do it is to say, I'm feeling uncomfortable. I'm not feeling very successful in this conversation. And I would like to, let's talk, if you need to be sitting with that person for the next 10 hours or something, and perhaps it's about resetting the stage and say, let's talk about something that we can laugh about, or let's talk about, you know, changing it to a place mm -hmm. that we can find common ground. If you can, if it's about just ending it and moving on, then it's like, I just think we should probably call it, call it a day and um, go our merry way. Thanks. Thank you so much. With no sarcasm, with no mm -hmm. irony, with no dripping, you know, um, double entendres, which is just so hard because we just so mm -hmm. badly as humans sometimes have that little switchiness that just wants to just bring the lion out and i get it but you know this mm. now of course i'm talking about this as as situations that are about discussion i'm not talking about physical harm situations or anything that is dangerous yeah, yeah. And this is where again we need to yeah. get to society our line has gotten a little blurred as to what's what's dangerous um and having mm. a disagreement or disagreeing in, in a, on polit politics or on you know, upbringing of children or managing people or whatever it happens to be, collegial behavior, those are just disagreements. They're not, you know, earth ending kind of things. Whereas if, if you, especially as women, I, I go there, but you know, men and women are equally at risk in the, in the outside world. And if you're, if we're in a situation, mm -hmm. if I find myself in a situation that is physically dangerous, I mean, telling somebody to back off or speaking loudly and making your, your voice your power known is is as far mm. as i'm concerned that that has to work for me i had somebody approach me many years ago in italy um i was walking home from the beach by myself to our little airbnb and i was wearing a little sundress and and this guy followed me and it was a kid really came up to me and i mm. i didn't think of him as a threat at first and he came up and he pulled on my skirt on my dress on the mm. bottom of my dress and i i looked at him and i said you can imagine what I said. Okay. So imagine all the anger, all the rage, yeah. all the things that we feel when mm. we have a difficult conversation with somebody, I was threatened and I made it known. And I, and he fortunately ran away and then peeked around the corner uh, back at me. And I kept yelling and at the top of my lungs and I got into the mm. hotel, I you know, got myself into my Airbnb and that's when my knees went to, to powder and, mm. you know, mm. I started shaking and everything. But the, the things that rise up in us, this adrenaline rush that we get sometimes when we're angry um, is, is another thing to do is, is, is be aware of that. Our body, understand our body and how it's reacting to something. So if we find ourselves mm -hmm. with that anger and rage coming up, um, even when we're just talking to somebody, that's a sign that we need to take a deep breath and, and stop and, and slow down and not react in a way that's, that may damage something permanently. If again, if we care about the mm. relationship, that's to me, that's an important place that I try to stop myself. Mm. If I don't care and I really need this mm. person to exit, such as the person who was trying to pull my dress on, off on me, um, then that is, that's a fight or flight. That's, that's where, you know, that's the area where, okay, yeah. fine, use your voice, use your power and get them away because that's a danger mm. situation. We really are not yeah, in danger when right we're talking to somebody. No, and and I think it's that it, it is it's it's interesting, isn't it? It's that kind of um, you know the kind of uh, connection to our sort of reptilian pr pr primitive brains, which which which, which are hardwired for those sort of uh, you know fight or flight situations, and sometimes we 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 approach a you know a verbal challenge as and and it, and it triggers that that um, that very primitive response. I remember 
talking to someone who was telling me that you know the first it, you, you can put down the and obviously not in the situation that you described in Italy there that was quite quite appropriate <laughs> in terms of you, you know the way you responded there but in terms of a, a kind of a less uh, you know a less uh, threatening situation that we perceived is is that whole kind of that you know the six seconds that your um, your kind of limbic system takes control of your your neocortex and 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 in that in that six seconds you and that's why we tell kids to go and go into the corner and count to 10 when they're about to attack yes. one of their, uh, their their siblings or because uh, it, it is it's that yes. cooling down mechanism that we need and that reframing that that's really important and and, and again you, you see i think that's again when we go back to what we're talking at the beginning you know the social media is that people just are are, are getting into that kind of cyclical uh, you know with no breaks respond respond fire back fire back wanting to throw the last shot and it's just it's just a, di- dis- a disagreement it's not a fight it, and, and it and it's turning into a uh, you know we're, our brains are perceiving it to be that we're under threat so yeah it's very interesting um yes, and so something being, else you might you, 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 oh go ahead Go ahead. Oh, just I'd, I'd love to come back to what you were just going to say. The, the idea that um, the fight or flight and all, just being aware of our, I think meditation and all of the um, sort of mind-body elements of things are really great practices because it, it helps us get in touch with our own physicality and what's happening. And so becoming more self-aware is a great way to, to go forward. Mm, definitely definitely so just 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 to wrapping things up and 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 think you know thinking just around again back going back to the audience and um uh, uh, as you know the, this podcast and i think this is a really interesting area for for, for our our internal comp communications uh people to to listen to uh to to think about you know kind of their own sort of professional uh, expertise and also how they help this within their organization and 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 i'm, I'm just interested that you know if i if 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 we have this incivility and hostility within our organization and and it's you know i know you, you we talk about this becoming a bit of a new normal in society but if i'm in an organization where that is becoming a challenge other than the things we've already talked about is there anything that you recommend you know if, if if it's just the sort of tone of the way we communicate with each other maybe the way that we communicate with our teams and and obviously at this level i'm not talking about you know sometimes the the, the not sanitized but you know internal comms that's going out it tends to go through a kind of an editing process and is 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 reviewed for this sort of thing but i'm talking more about the kind of day-to-day you know it, it, communications between team members between managers and their their, their 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 teams and i guess between peers as well is what are some of the ways that we can educate people other than as i say what we've already talked about to to be aware of um this and to to make sure it doesn't become the new normal in our own organizations so, you know, we have that person, not so many people are sitting in cubicles next to each other anymore, but we have that coworker or that manager or that subordinate, you know, employee who, who just gets under our skin. And I think that that would be a really interesting place to start is thinking about that one person that just gets you every time or doesn't get you <laughs> um, every time mm. as far as, um, you know, you just, they make your, their voice makes your skin crawl or their attitude is, is disturbing or those kinds of things. And really like try to figure, I would, it would be fun to try to figure out and taking it on as a joyful act exercise of trying to figure out how to turn that person around in your head, not that changing them, but to look at it and say, how can I really connect with this person? How can I be the person that I want to see in the world and go and befriend that person or find out what it makes them tick beyond the things that annoy you about them, because we all have that person. So how can I turn this relationship around in a positive way and find something wonderful about them to celebrate and then celebrate it? And I, I swear, I, every time I do that, it is, I just find out the most miraculous things and it just opens my life and my world up and into something that is un- indescribable. And if I have that, you can come away with this amazing feeling. As I said, the joy juices, the oxytocin, the serotonin, the dopamine. Those are natural things that we we produce in our body. And we can make that happen for ourselves and for other people every single day if we put our mind to it. Mm, mm. 
and and I guess following on from that, then if you, if you can do that with that 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 sort of because normally with these sorts of things, you start with someone who you have a minor spat, you know, a minor disagreement with, and work your way up to the more more the difficult end. But actually, I, I like your approach, which is actually if you can, it's kind of like if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. You can, if you can if you can find that joy and that um, connection with someone who is the your least. Um, your least sort of likely <laughs> um, best friend. Not that we're talking about making the turning them into best friends, but but yeah, you're you're probably then likely to be able to use those skills on a on a much uh, uh, a much a much easier uh, relationship. That's maybe where there's maybe there's more minor minor dif- disagreements around the edges. I guess. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking of several television series that I've been binge watching here and there, and you know, it, they, the arc of the story usually goes, it's opening scene is people fighting with each other. I think even the TV series friends, you know, they start, um, they start out at odds and then they end up best friends. And if you think about it, and I know it's just, you know, fiction and, and television entertainment, but it, it, it's a winning, it's a winning formula. And why is that? It's because we all have this desire to bond with people. And there are people we're never going to bond with and it's never going to be a deep and and enduring love but that doesn't in a workplace especially that's not the the goal the goal is to be productive and collaborative and i thought of the the, for some reason i woke up in the middle of the night thinking the three c's so maybe that's because i knew i was going to talk to you it was uh it was collaborate (laughs) (laughs) cooperate collaborate and communicate and if we can focus on those, like from a, you know, that are not, that's very pragmatic and practical and not woo woo and not, you know, um, uh, you know, third eye and all these things that are a little bit out, out there from a, from a business perspective. But if we bring it right back to, if we have a mindset of collaborating, if we have a mindset of cooperating and we have a, a, a really good practice of communicating well and closing the loop and being respectful that somebody who needs to know this information, who, you know, who do I need to share this with to make sure that they're in the loop too. That's a big part of, you know, miscommunication is such a big part of what happens in the, in the workplace. So communicate, collaborate and cooperate. Those are, that's a winning formula. I like it. I like, I like, I like, I like, uh, I like uh, things that are easy to remember, but also work and, 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 and a practical as well. So yeah, that's a really, really, uh, really nice sort of area to, to, to close on. So any, any final, just any final thoughts, Shelby, you've been very generous and, and, and you've given us some really, um, I think some thought, very, very thought provoking ideas there. And I think we can all, you know, it's not necessarily just about you know, going back into the workplace and writing a better email or that it's, it's actually reflecting on our own role. And I think going back to what we said right at the beginning, which is, you know, be the change you want to be, you know, the change you want to see. It's about recognizing that actually maybe if I can role model this a little bit better, particularly if I'm a, a communication specialist, then maybe I can help my colleagues to, um, to sort of, uh, adopt that. But any, any, any final, Final closing thoughts, uh, Shelby, be just before I, I've got a few few final questions just before we wrap up. Sure, sure. You know, I, I think of a story, um, you know, we, we have, people ask, we like in seminars and things and uh, warm up conversations, you know, conversation starters in networking events or, or meetings and things is what's your superpower or what's your passion, you know, what's your why? Uh, Simon Sinek says, what's your why, which is really popular. And really, Mm. it's a a good place to think about what our purpose on this earth is, because it's an existential question. And again, the the central, the self-centered person in us uh, wants to know why we're supposed to be here, what we're supposed to be doing with our lives. And over Mm. time, it can change over time. For me, it's become about creating a purposeful practice of civility and trying to encourage other people to follow the, the practice if they find value in it, because I know they'll find joy. Um, and so mm. one of the things that reminds me of, of that is that I was in charge of President Reagan's funeral. I was one of the, you know, the deputy lead for President Reagan's state funeral in Washington, D.C. And we took, um, we, he, his body went from Washington, D.C. and all of the ceremonies that were the official state ceremony to be, to have a final ceremony and be um, buried at the Reagan Library in California. So we had it totally timed so that we got on the plane, uh, we put his casket on the plane and all the guests on the plane that were going to California for the final 
ceremonies to land in California as this and have the ceremony happen just as the sunset. So it was all perfectly timed because he was mm. a Western guy. So sunsetting in the West, the whole, there's a lot of symbolism. So mm. we were getting to the airport and I was standing on the tarmac because I wasn't going to California. So I was saying goodbye to all of the people getting on the plane, you know, his children, Mrs. Reagan, um, and then um, Miss Margaret Thatcher. So she was uh, at the funeral and she carried around a black dress with her wherever she went for the last years of his life, just in case it happened while she was traveling. And she was mm. at the funeral um, and at getting on the plane. And I said to her, you know, this was in the later years of her life. And it was hard for her to travel at that point. And she didn't speak. We had a recorded mm. uh, version of, of her eulogy because she wasn't really in a position to speak at that point. But we played the eulogy because this was so heartfelt from her. And she said, um, I said, thank you so, so much for making the effort to come to this funeral because I know that you were good friends and that you, it's just so beautiful to see you here participating, in uh, remembering President Reagan. And she said, mm. um, basically four words. She says, my dear, it was my duty. Um, mm. Five words, I guess. <laughs> my dear, it was my duty. Mm. And I go back to what it is for me is that it, this may be my why, this may be my passion, this may be, but I think it's, what I can bring to the world is it's my duty to, to be civil in this mm. world and, and, and hope that other people um, follow my lead or, or are encouraged to do the same and that maybe then we'll see the change in the world that we want to see. Fantastic. And I think that's a wonderful point to a wonderful sentiment and, and thought to, 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 to close out the interview on Shelby. So just before we, um, we, we end, I'd just like to find out if there's any links you'd like me to share with our listeners. So, um, I was going to pop your LinkedIn profile into the, uh, into the notes. So if anyone would like to reach out to you and, uh, have, have a conversation with you about, about, about your expertise and your experience and you, you're obviously wanting to do that. I thought that'd be nice. And, uh, are there any other links you'd like me to pop into the show notes? I know you've got your book, uh, anything, uh, your, any, any websites or other links that you'd like me to share with the listeners? Yeah, sure. Um, and the easiest place to go is shelbyscarborough.com. And um, when my ancestors came over from Scarborough, England, um, they somehow, <laughs> I think through Ellis Island, they uh, misspelled my name. So I have one less O than most people there would spell. So it's Scarborough, S-C-A-R-E-R-O-U-G-H. It's the, it's the, 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 chopped up version of it, the Americanized version of it, I guess. So shelbyscarborough.com. But I did think that a lot of people would spell it the other way. So I also purchased it shelbyscarborough.com. So if they, uh, if you type that in, you'll get to my website as well. Very, very wise, very wise. Well, yeah, I'm not, I'm, a, I'm not, a, I'm probably about sort of 90 miles north of Scarborough. So uh, that's, that's quite appropriate. So, and I've been to Ellis Island as well. So there you go. I can, I can, uh, I can visualize both of those places in your, in your, uh, your family's history. So wonderful. Okay. Well, look, that's been fantastic, Shelby. I love, I love what we've, I love what we've been talking about, and and it's been a real eye opener for me, and also a reminder, I think, uh, for me to 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 make those extra efforts to be a little bit more civil. I think I do, I do try, but um, we can always do a little bit better, not only online, but also in interactions with uh, with, with with loved ones, with colleagues, with clients. Um, and I guess as part of that, and we, I don't want to kind of kick off another conversation. That's part of the self-talk as well about the way you talk about people in your head as well. I think probably directs the, uh, yes. the way that you respond to them in real life as well. So I think it's not just yeah. an external Treat dialogue, yourself it's an internal <laughs> dialogue as well. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Treat ourselves Absolutely. Civilly. Yeah, yeah. That'll, that helps because low self-esteem adds to the instability in the, in the, um, in the world. Absolutely. Well, look, I'll let you get back to that cranberry sauce that you made for ready for Thanksgiving <laughs> and all the other preparations that you're doing and wish you, wish you a, a joyous uh, Thanksgiving and a, and a lovely, a lovely Christmas. I know with this, the show is going to be going out after Christmas, but we can all kind of uh, we remember what it was like a few months ago or a few weeks ago <laughs> when we were still looking forward to these things, I guess. So, uh, but anyway, thanks Shelby. You, you take care and uh, hopefully our paths will cross again in the near future. I very much hope so. Thank you so much. 
We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Engaging Internal Comms podcast. If you've got any ideas for episodes you'd like us to cover in future, you can email us at info at thebigpicturepeople.co.uk or you can use the feedback form at engagingic.com. If you're not already subscribed to the show via your podcast platform, please do so. And if you could leave a review for us, that would be absolutely fantastic. We have links to other episodes at engagingic.com. All of our previous episodes are available there. And if you're interested in our visual communication services, our big pictures, our learning maps, our explainer videos, and also our live graphic recording, please get in touch with us again at info at thebigpicturepeople.co.uk. Thank you.